Hey, you want to grab a drink? Hi, Sierra. Hi, Lily. This week, I'm going to tell you about the Rawson House. Have you ever heard of it? No. Except for you talking about it for the past three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, before I introduce our first ever guest on the show, I'm going to give you a little rundown of the Rawson House and read you some things off their website about like the restaurants and their little shop that's connected to it. So, the Rawson House is a museum in Phoenix, Arizona, located in Heritage Square, and it's fully restored 1895 Queen Anne Victorian House. Mm -hmm. This museum interprets the history of Phoenix and is only accessible by guided tour. When you take the tour, there's a red carpet you walk on while you're in the house so they can preserve the wooden floors. All regular tours last about an hour and include all rooms of the house. It shows what living in Phoenix in 1895 was like. There's even parts of the Rawson that are original to the house, like the kitchen sink, the wood flooring, and the gib doors. The furniture that isn't original to the house is also from the period, so it is a complete blast from the past. The house was built by Dr. Ronald Lee Rawson for $7,500, which is about $232,069.64 in today's money. The house has exchanged hands many times and was even a boarding house at one point. It was bought in the 1970s to be fully restored. After the restoration, it was open for business as a museum in 1980. The restoration cost about $750,000. Going through the rooms in the house, there are some spectacular focus pieces. In the first parlor, there's an organ that was $60 in Rawson's time. In today's money, that would have equaled $1,856.56. In the dining room, there's an original fireplace and mantle. It also contains a grandfather clock, which is the oldest piece in the house. This clock is from Wales, and it displays all the phases of the moon on its face. That's awesome. Right? I want one. <laughs> well, they don't make them anymore, so... Well, someone's going to have to make it for me. <laughs> There's also a sewing room that was used by the wife of Stephen W. Higley, who was a part owner of the Arizona Republican and namesake of Higley, Arizona. When you head upstairs, you will climb a steep staircase where you will tour a sewing room, four bedrooms, and a bathroom. There you can view hair tools used back in Rawson's time, a hair art piece, an antique birdcage, and Rawson's bedroom. When you circle around and head back downstairs, you will go through the kitchen and into Dr. Rawson's office, filled with old medical supplies and charts. In here, he had performed at-home surgeries for many patients. Patients would ring the bell outside the door, but instead of making a noise throughout the entire house, it could only be heard from inside Rawson's bedroom, which was upstairs. In this room, there is also another focus piece, a wooden desk that they had stopped making in 1884. It cost $400 at the time, $12,377.05 in today's dollars, Damn. when the average wage was only $10 a week, which equals out to about $1,010 today's money. That's an expensive-ass desk. I know. Goodness. Well, he was a doctor, so he could he afford it. True. Very true. <laughs> the final room you see is the second parlor, where you will get to check out the Edison phonograph with four wax canisters. You also get to view a, a stereoscope and a piano from that time. So that's all in the house, but the house is on something called Heritage Square, which is a big plaza. 
right? Mm. So they have they have the Rawson House. They have shop. They have a shop called the Bungalow, and they also have a couple restaurants. So the Bungalow is a store that's next to the Rawson House, and they encourage you to go check it out because. The bungalow showcases many local artists. Uh, It has featured items that include throw pillows, bowls, face masks, earrings, and tote bags. On their website, they say, We are proud to feature local artists who make the bungalow a place where you can find things you won't find anywhere else. Your purchases help support the Rawson House Museum and our Arizona artists, and we can't thank you enough. You can visit the bungalow right right outside the Rawson House, or you can visit their website at shop.heritage.org. Once you're on the site, you can view products, purchase items, and read about the featured artist. Not only can you go look at the local art, but like I said, they have local restaurants for you to try. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about those. Um, There's the Nobu at Teeter House, which offers an entirely new Japanese cuisine experience with Asian fusion and Vented omakase, created by award-winning chef Nobu Fukuda. There's also Pizzeria Bianco and Bar Bianco. The Pizzeria Bianco comes equipped with a wood-burning brick oven where owner Chris Bianco creates pizza and entrees made with his homemade mozzarella cheese, fresh-baked breads, and locally grown vegetables. There's also a little restaurant called On Halo. On Halo is new to Heritage Square um, since last year in 2019. Halo's menu is comprised of locally sourced seasonal ingredients brought together to create dishes meant to be shared with friends old and new. And then lastly, there's Royal Coffee Bar and Roasting Company. Royal is an independent, locally owned coffee shop and roastery that serves traditional, unpretentious tea, coffee, and espresso drinks. These are all taken from the Heritage Square website, so when you go online and look under the restaurant tab, you can read the history on each one of these restaurants. Are you ready to meet our first guest? I am. Okay. So I'd like to introduce you guys to our first guest on Morbidly Intoxicated. This is my dear friend, Sarah. (laughs) Hi, guys. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Of course. Our first guest. I know. It feels very prestigious. <laughs> um, so tell us about yourself and your background um, with museums. Oh, cool. I was like, well, my favorite color is green. <laughs> well, you can tell us all that, too. That's fine. <laughs> um, well, I always say that I've been working in museums for as long as I can remember. I've uh, started my interest started when I was in high school. Uh, I my background is in art history. That's what I studied. I went to ASU. My bachelor's is in art history, and I also have another in museum studies. So I always knew I wanted to do something with art and with museums. Um, I always wanted to work with people, and I just knew that all these three had to come together in some way. Uh, so after I graduated in 2015, so it's been a minute, uh, I went to uh, grad school to continue studying. So I have my master's in museum studies with a focus in gallery education and communication. And I got that from the University of Leicester over in the UK. And I finished up that in uh, late 2016, early 2017. And I've worked at museums all across the valley. Um, Even though my background is in art history, I feel like I've worked in every different kind of museum you could work in. (laughs) I worked at the Phoenix Art Museum for about two years. 
Um, I've interned, uh, I've been a volunteer docent at the ASU Art Museum. It's also on their board of directors for a little bit. Uh, I've worked at the Idea Museum, which is where I met Lily, <laughs> um, which is a children's museum in downtown Mesa. I've worked at our state capitol. The historic capitol is a museum now. I was there for about a year and a half. And then currently I am at the Rawson House um, at Heritage Square in downtown Phoenix. I've also worked at a natural history museum in Oxford. So I feel like I've done a little bit of everything. I always say, um, yes, I am an art person, but I'm also just a museum person. So um, it's a very long answer to your question, but I've worked and done it all and I love it so much. Awesome. So you definitely well versed in museums. Yeah, you know, you know a little bit about them, right? <laughs> Probably a little, little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, let's let's go ahead. I actually have the Heritage Square website pulled up. So this is the Rawson House. Ooh. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? I and love then Victorian homes. Right here is like where you buy tickets, and then further down, right here is the bungalow. So where okay. you can buy. So were all those buildings built later, just like around the house, or? When we look at Heritage Square, um, Heritage Square is the last residential block from the original 1870 Phoenix town site. That is still intact to this day. Um, so it is a historic square in downtown Phoenix. Um, and that's back when Phoenix was quite a bit smaller than it is today. It was only about half a mile wide, um, sorry, mile wide, half a mile north and south. Uh, there was 98 city blocks. We were block 14 of those original 98. Uh, now, the buildings in the square, they are um, historical buildings. They kind of range in time frame, though. Most of them are from around the turn of the 20th century. You have the Rawson House, which was built in 1895. But when the Rawson House was built, the Rawson family, so Roland and his wife, Flora, they owned all of Block 14. So there really wasn't a lot else on the, um, that piece of land at that point. They had their house. There was another smaller home that they um, were rumored to live in. It was a small adobe house before they built the big guy. Uh, there was supposed to be a barn, but not really much else. And then as time went on and the Rossons sold the Rossin house, that's when the land started to get sold off in pieces. And that's when you see some of the other buildings popping up by different people. Uh, so what's currently on the square, uh, there's several uh, bungalow style homes. That's where you're gonna find our museum store, the bungalow. <laughs> that house was built in 1901. Uh, there is a historic duplex that has now our museum offices. A few of the buildings were actually moved to the square. The visitor center is actually a carriage house that was built in the 1880s. That was originally on Taylor Street, so not too far from where we are, but they moved it to the square. Um, and it's um, from the same time period, but it is now. They moved it so we could take care of it and preserve it and share it. Uh, but yes, That's cool. everything in the square is um, from around that time period, creeping into the 10s and 20s. When did they, uh, when did they move the visitor service center? In the 1970s. Oh, okay. So you'll see a lot of, they did a lot of work on that area in the 70s. Initially, they were going to be to knock down the Rawson House and use that land there as parking for the convention center. Oh. <laughs> I know. A freaking parking say, lot? So, it sounds so horrible. Uh, but that was the plan. And then eventually, at our mayor of Phoenix at the time, John Driggs, he was very much a big advocate for the house and for the square and for local history. 
And he said that the Rawson House and Heritage Square had a lot of historical value and that instead of knocking it down, it should be preserved and restored and then kind of made into this community space, uh, which eventually ended up happening. That's when they restored the Rawson House. That's when they started kind of acquiring the other buildings in the square. The city now owns the entire area. Heritage Square is a city park. And uh, the Rawson House is, of course, a museum now. That's the city of Phoenix, right? The city of Phoenix. Yes, sorry. (laughs) There's other cities in um, in Arizona, of course. But whenever I'm so we're so Phoenix centric because we do really talk a lot about the history of Phoenix um, at the square. That's really kind of the heart of what we do. And actually, yesterday, Phoenix celebrated its 150th birthday. Wow. Big 2020 was a very big year for the city of Phoenix. Also for Heritage Square, the Rawson House uh, is 125 this year. And the Heritage Square Foundation, which is our foundation that actually runs the square and takes care of it, uh, it turned 40 this year. Wow. That all happened 2020? That all happened in 2020. (laughs) Something good. Yeah, a little bit good in there. Right. So the house wasn't already a historical monument when they talked about tearing it down? It was not. Actually, at that point, it had been through kind of a lot of different ownership. It, of course, was built by the Rossins, but they ended up selling it after about two years. It was purchased by the Goldberg family. After the Goldberg sold it, the Higley family purchased it. And after the Higley sold it, the Gamels purchased it. And they lived there for the longest amount of time. They lived there for almost 30 years. And they actually uh, slowly were the ones who kind of transitioned the house into becoming a boarding house. Uh, They actually rented out rooms while they lived there for extra income. And then once they sold it, it um, very naturally became a boarding house. And it was a boarding house for almost 30 years. So at that point, it was really run down. Um, All of the brick of the house was painted white. They expanded rooms and cut rooms off because they wanted to make more rooms so they could rent them out. Uh, And uh, they um, walled in uh, the porches so they could have more rooms. They added a bathroom on the back porch. (laughs) It was um, looked much different and it was very run down. Um, So that is part of the reason why they thought about just knocking it down because it had fallen into such disrepair. Okay, so going off of that, since it says it's fully restored, and I, when we took it, the tour, I noticed that all those details that you had just said aren't there anymore. What kind of work went into that? Oh, <laughs> so the restoration was a very lengthy process. It was a six-year project. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, it did cost about $750,000 to fully restore the house. And we still to this day don't have the original blueprint from when the house was built. So it it was a lot of detective work. Um, That's how I always put it. They had to open up the walls. They had to talk to people who'd lived in the house and really get a better idea of what it looked like, what rooms were used for, what the original intent behind, you know, surfaces and and rooms were. it It was a lot of work and it was mostly a volunteer effort actually as well so a lot of true love and respect for that house and for you know phoenix history really went into it uh but yeah six six long years (laughs) and uh, they were able to get it back um to what it had originally looked like we do have some great black and white photos of the house on the outside from around the time it was built it is very 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 close um and based on just the floor plan and what we know about Victorian houses in the time period, we believe the inside is as close to what it would have looked like as possible as well. Um, So you mentioned it's a Victorian house. 
And I know you, you said you get this question a lot. Uh, can you tell us about Victorian houses and why people think that Rawson might be haunted? <laughs> it's my favorite question. <laughs> the number one question we get at the square is, is the Rawson house haunted? Mm -hmm. And I understand why people ask that question. We see a Victorian house and instantly in our brains, we make that connection between the supernatural, the paranormal, and that's not an accident. I mean, the Victorians themselves were very obsessed with this kind of very fascinating topic of death and the afterlife, the paranormal, the occult. Uh, they definitely did so much with that. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually gave an entire tour at the Rawson House um, about this topic called seances and spiritualists. And they really had a deep fascination with these things. And they wrote amazing ghost stories. I mean, I think the one of the most iconic ghost stories of all time is A Christmas Carol, written by Charles Dickens. Um, he went on to write about two dozen ghost stories, but he wasn't the only one. And so much of what we picture ghost stories and hauntings and things like that came from pen and paper from that time. When they started to make horror movies coming into the 20th century, they were using those horror, um, kind of classic hor Victorian horror stories as a template. Um, also, you have to kind of get into the whole um, wealth distribution of the Victorian era. And as you come into the 20th century, Victorian houses started to represent very stark wealth inequality of the upper classes versus those who were not in the upper classes. And they were big and grand and very over the top. And it actually became kind of a negative symbol of that wealth disparity. And of course, they were also starting to fall into disrepair. And by the 30s and 40s, when they're starting to make some of these iconic horror movies, uh, like Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, these homes are literally crumbling. And it's the perfect aesthetic. So really, all of these things come together. And in our mind, Victorian houses are always haunted. <laughs> Also, and the media, of course, takes that as well. I mean, looking at some of the most popular pop culture references for the Victorian era. I mean, the Adams Family lived in a Victorian yeah. house. Uh, that Del Toro movie, Crimson Peak. Uh, I mean, I feel like every ghost you see in, in movies and in television shows, they look like a Victorian child. Right. It's, it's really, they're so closely intertwined in people's minds and they don't even rec realize it uh, but they've just over the years become so closely associated and when you have a beautiful restored victorian house in the middle of phoenix people are of course going to think it's haunted yeah okay so you're saying it's not haunted <laughs> the official answer is that we don't know so we always say it's not haunted that we know of because no one on our staff has had any paranormal interactions in the house I believe in ghosts. I've seen ghosts. I have never seen a ghost in the Rawson house. Okay. Now, does that mean it's not haunted? I don't think so necessarily. I mean, we have visitors all the time who say that they feel and experience things in the home. Mm -hmm. And I always say, I just because I haven't seen it. Yes, my feelings would be hurt because I wish a ghost would come out and say hi to me. <laughs> but, um, it, there's been so many people who've said they've seen something. And who am I to say that they're wrong? Right. We know you haven't. <laughs> Are you guys ever there late at night when, like, you know, it's obvious all the spooky stuff's supposed to come out at night? But... Well, that, that's around the time when you have your seance tours, right? Oh, right. It's late at night. Yes. So, yeah, the seance tours do happen at night. 
Um, and I probably spend not the, maybe not the most time in the house, but some of the most time in the house of our staff, I'm in that house because I'm there at nine in the morning opening it up and I'm, I'm closing it. I'm giving tours. Um, I'm doing programs in the house. I'm very much, I feel like it is my house. Right. <laughs> and um, we are there sometimes late at night. I've been in the attic late at night. I've, I've done so much in that house and I've never felt anything but good so I feel it's nothing because I feel often when people think of haunted, mm-hmm. they think of something that's um, malevolent and like not like very like spooky and creepy and like just scary. And I've never felt anything but some like positivity and almost like motherly warmth in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely has that vibe to it. So nothing scary. I've never felt anything scary in there. Um so I don't know. That's just me. That's cool. So yeah. like it, it could be haunted, but they might be nice chill ghosts. Right. <laughs> Which exists. They exist. Well, and we've had lots of different stories of what people have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, a pretty common one is that there is some older male presence in our back formal, uh, sorry, family parlor. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one I've heard at least 10 times over the last year and a half that I've worked there. Uh, so that's a pretty common one. Uh, another one I've heard a few times is that there's a teenage boy or like a, a more of a juvenile presence in our bathroom. Huh. Um, and I've heard that a few times as well. So those are the two big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've heard a variety, a full variety of different things. So it's, it's, <laughs> um, and it's year round too. I know it's October now that when we're recording this, but um, I hear it. It could be Easter. It could be Christmas. Like you hear ghost stories. I hear ghost stories year round. So it's cool. Um, pretty fun. Is that normally coming from people who have like come to the house, like meet people who are mediums or anything like that? Do you get a lot of people like that? Um, I've never, I don't know. I would to say I've ever had a, someone who's a medium per se. I do get a lot of people who are sensitive to spirits and sensitive to kind of those energies. Uh, we also get people who are interested in or like kind of maybe work in that sphere. We get a lot of that on our seance tour, actually. So I get a lot of paranormal investigators, mm-hmm. also um, morticians. I've gotten several morticians on that specific tour. Um, so that tour in particular, because it's at night and because that's the topic of discussion, uh, we get a lot of um, those yeah, special interest <laughs> uh, visitors. Um, but even during the re- normal tours, we get that as well. But the seance tours in particular really attract um, just people who are sensitive. So I know I kind of gave a breakdown of the the day tour. Can you tell us about the seance tour? Because I, I didn't really touch on that. I haven't taken that one yet. Um, we're planning on taking it mm-hmm. sometime in November. So <laughs> can yes. you tell us about that one? <laughs> Uh, well, the sales tour, I always say it's my baby. I wrote that tour myself last year. That's um, awesome. I spent three months going down this amazing rabbit hole um, because so much of what I know now about the Victorian way of life and that time period is stuff I've learned since I've been at the Rosset House. I've done research. I've learned from people I've worked with. I have some amazing colleagues who are so, so brilliant and so smart and who are trained historians and I've learned so much from them. 
since my time there. And a topic that when I first started working there that I noticed right away was that everyone wanted to know about the paranormal stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's what led me to do all this historical research on that fascination. So the Seances and Spiritualist Tour is about an hour usually goes a little longer because I'm a little long-winded, um, but it's just such a fascinating time period and a subject. And we start by talking about spiritualism, what that is, why it was such a phenomenon during that time period. We touch on the Fox sisters, uh, which if anyone doesn't know who they are, they are such a fascinating uh, duo. Uh, there is a drunk history episode on them, actually. So if anyone wants to look them up and watch that, it's super good. <laughs> um, so we talk about them. And then we also talk about what seances look like, you know, who the mediums were and what, you know, tools did they use to communicate and were there authentic mediums were there people who tricked you how could they trick you uh, and we also talk quite a bit about death <laughs> so super light right uh, we talk about, you <laughs> know, what death topic. was like <laughs> super light topic uh <laughs> what was it was like back then because the average life expectancy in the victorian era uh was around 45. wow so it was not high it was it's obviously double that today right. and go and growing uh, but back then it was, death was much more a part of the everyday vernacular. It was something you talked about much more openly. You usually died in your home. So it's, it's much more of an intimate experience than it is today. There's much more of a separation today from death. Uh, so we really get into that topic. Uh, we talk about morbid curiosities that they even had back then. Today we listen to murder podcasts. Back then, they would have lunch in cemeteries or visit the morgue and go look at the bodies. <laughs> Why wasn't all of those things? <laughs> so um, we really delve into all of that. And then we also talked a little bit about, again, what I mentioned earlier about why people think Victorians and Victorian houses and, and ghosts and spirits go together so well. So it's a, a very, there's lots of stuff we go over and it goes through the whole house um, we had, we do go up into the attic on that tour. We don't normally see the attic on our normal tours just cause it's too hot during the day normally. Yeah. Uh, so at night it's a little nicer, but it's, uh, yeah, we, 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 t we mentioned it all. We talk about it all. <laughs> That's super cool. Um, so I've got one more question about the spookies and then we will, uh, we'll move on to just basic questions about the house. My last question is... I know you commissioned Robert, who is not only our production assistant, but my boyfriend, to make this giant, oh, what is it called? Planchette. Yes. Do you guys still have that? Yes. That is a, f a featured item on our tour. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Robert. I, I, Robert and I work together at the Idea Museum. Love him to death. And I love him even more because he introduced me to you. And he is also an amazing woodworker and i had the most random requests for him when i was putting this tour together i asked him to make me a planchette uh, now planchettes usually when people think of planchettes they think of the smaller piece that you use with a ouija board mm -hmm. um and that is what you um the spirit moves around to spell out messages and things like that and answer questions uh, now planchettes could also be much bigger like the one that Robert made me and that particular piece actually has a slot for a pencil and it has wheels on the bottom and what that it was for it was for automatic writing 
So what they would do, the spirits, <laughs> they would, as two people put their hands on it, the spirit would actually move the planchette and spell out and write out messages. So it was one way of communicating with the dead. And um, it was quite popular. I actually spoke to a planchette historian when I was researching for this tour. And he told me that they were so popular, he compared it to um, having Beanie Babies in the 90s. That's like, amazing. That level of, of obsession and like everyone needed to have one. Mm -hmm. And it was that, that level. So Robert very graciously made me a reproduction, one that people on the tour can actually touch and see what it looked like. Very cool. That's uh, awesome. Okay, so going back to the house itself, so what specifically is original to the house? I know we had so, mentioned some furniture, but... Mm -hmm. So we do have several pieces in the house, furniture pieces in the house and artifacts that belong to one of the four original families. Okay. Uh, now, we actually don't have anything that belonged to the Rossens. Uh, mm -hmm. I always say it's a little ironic of all the families that lived there the Rossens lived there for the least amount of time. They only lived there for two years and they didn't leave any personal possessions. So it's the Rossen house, but we don't have anything from them. Right. <laughs> um, and that's only because they lived there so briefly. Uh, but we do have pieces that belong to some of the other families um, who lived in the home. We have several pieces that belong to the Goldbergs. They purchased the house from the Rossens and the Goldbergs actually owned a men's and boys clothing store. And so there's a baking table in our kitchen that is really beautiful that belonged to the Goldbergs. Um, it has these amazing rounded, they call them possum drawers along the bottom, and they would actually put, fill those with flour and sugar and you'd scoop them out when you were baking. So it's a really beautiful piece. That's one. They also left, uh, there is a um, beautiful knickknack shelf that also belonged to them. And then we have a few, a few other things uh, that belong to the Higleys and then to the Gamels. There's a beautiful porcelain doll that belonged to J.J. Higley, uh, who was a little girl and her family lived in the house. So we do have pieces that belong to the original families. We also have pieces that belonged or were donated by families who lived in other houses in the square. Um, there's a recliner. Yes, there's a recliner in our family parlor that belonged uh, to the Silva family. And the Silva house is now um, uh, on Halo. Oh, okay. So we have so kind of we brought those pieces together. Um, and then everything else is not necessarily original in terms of furniture, but they are pieces that are from the time period. So um, we wanted to be as authentic as possible when we presented this kind of step back in time. So everything in the house is at least of the time period. But yeah, so those are the original furniture pieces. Uh, there's lots of parts of the house and uh, the physical house that are original. Uh, the, all the, almost all the brick of the house is the original brick, wow. which is pretty, it's, it has lasted. <laughs> it was painted white at one point. They were going to paint it red because they didn't know how to get the paint off. Right. And then they were able to get all of that paint off. And it's, yes, it's all beautiful, um, original brick. Uh, if you come into the house, I've mentioned the floors are original mm -hmm. and our beautiful staircase. It's a very grand staircase as you come inside is original as well. So lots of pieces and lots of the bones of the house are original. Uh, we also have these incredible transom windows. So transom windows are usually above doorways inside homes and businesses. And they have those so you could open them and it would help the air flow through the house easier. Mm -hmm. And with a two-story plus attic house that was completely made out of brick you it, it 
the house gets very stuffy. So you need things like that to help cool it down. And they have two, uh, two transoms that are made out of a ruby glass. And the glass is original. And it was a very expensive addition. <laughs> um, it's in the entranceway, um, but it was specifically for, you know, for entertaining and showing off, showing it off to guests. So they spent a little bit more money on the extra colored glass. Right. Um, but those pieces are original. So there's tidbits as you go through the house that are original. We have an original fireplace in our dining room. So it just, just, just depends as you go through the house. Um, there is a good, good chunk of it that is original or that's been refurbished. Um, and then there's pieces we've replaced, um, some of the hardware, things like that, because they were just lost or damaged over time. Um, I mentioned gib doors, and I'm going to assume a lot of people don't know what those are. Could you explain what the gib doors are? Uh, gib doors are really cool. <laughs> they are another thing they've built into the house to help it cool down. Now, they are doors, and there's nine gib doors in the house. They all lead onto a porch, and they're actually, there's not a swinging door. It's uh, once you unlock the top, it lifts straight up. The entire door, so, right? Yes, the entire door just lifts straight up. There's counterweights in the side. There's a little slot for your fingers, and it just goes boop, straight up, and that allowed people to go outside, but it also again, brought in cool air. And they're very strategically placed. They were very smart about where they put the gib doors in the house. Um, upstairs, um, there is uh, at the end of uh, one of the hallways, there's a gib door right at the end of the hallway. And I can just imagine when that was open, it blew air, almost like a wind tunnel right down that hallway. And it would have helped so much because, you know, Phoenix before air conditioning, it was still pretty warm. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you definitely wanted those ways in which to cool down your house especially because most homes in Phoenix weren't this Victorian style. They were one story. Um, a lot of homes before this were made out of adobe, which are those mud bricks and air moves through those bricks. <laughs> so those would, that probably was a little bit smarter of a way to design your house right. in Phoenix before air conditioning, but they wanted the brick, they wanted the Victorian. Mm -hmm. uh, so they had to come up with the other solutions to cool the house down. Awesome. Um, so you said that some of your furniture was donated. Do you guys ever look for any more of that furniture or accept any donations or are you guys pretty set? We still do get donations. So, so often people will come to us and say, I have this really beautiful piece of furniture that was my grandmother's or that was in our family from this time period. Is it something you guys can accommodate? Um, and it just depends on what the piece is and, you know, if, if we have the space for it and, and all those things. We actually just accepted a beautiful table from 1910 that was a donation. And that is in our family parlor. And it's really beautiful. So we do accept donations, <laughs> long story short. Um, it just, again, it, will just, it depends on a variety of factors. I'm excited to take the seance tour. Are you the only one that, that yeah. does it? I mean, I'm, I, part of that's because I'm a control freak. So yes. And then some of it is just because like, we don't really, I mean, there is another staff member who's given them before, but she um, hasn't been since we started back up. So it's really just been me, but I'm okay. Like I'm a very protective mama bear with this tour. It's, I have certain jokes that only I can do. Right. <laughs> I make a joke about Chris Jenner on the tour. And I don't think anyone else I work with could make organically make a Chris Jenner joke. I love that. 
um, but it's, I just, I love it. And I'm, it's, it's, it's a little selfish because it's my favorite thing I do at work is this tour. It's, I'm, I'm so proud of it. Um, we were voted by the New Times, uh, Phoenix New Times, best of 2020. We are the best place to get spooked because of this tour. That's so amazing. I'm really, really proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send you the clipping. I'm so, I'm proud. <laughs> no, we'll keep bragging. <laughs> It's just, it's, it's, and I mean, who wouldn't want to talk about the supernatural and, you right. know, the paranormal and all these things. Like I've had the topic to me, cause I've always believed in ghosts. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, it's been so fun to look at it in terms of the historical context and so much, so many things are so cyclical too. Yeah. I mean, they're, I always, I mentioned, always mention, um, you know, this kind of dichotomy between science and the paranormal and how even today people are still use the whole I don't believe in ghosts because it's not scientific like you can't prove that by science like some some people think they are opposed they thought that back then too um there was actually a club in London called the London Ghost Club and <laughs> their main thing was to see if they could prove or disprove the existence of spirits um using science so again so many of these things they did back then we're still doing today right. and um I just I just think that is so cool and that's the interesting thing about history is that it's so incredibly cyclical um and yeah that's that's been the coolest part about working at the rawson house is is being more immersed in that i like that i didn't i didn't know that they had an entire club oh yeah they were and charles dickens was in that club but it's funny because charles dickens didn't believe in ghosts Mm -hmm. He thought it was more likely that you were like he he believed that you said you saw them, but he probably thought it was because like you had something maybe mentally going on. Um, there's actually a great line in a Christmas Carol when Jacob Marley comes to see Scrooge and he's like, "No, you're a, you're a spoiled bit of porridge." So he thought it was more likely you were having indigestion than like you actually were like physically seeing a ghost. So he didn't believe in spirits, but he he took advantage of other people's belief because he wrote so many stories about ghosts right and he was very much immersed in it but it was uh he definitely used it for gain because he like i said he wrote over two dozen ghost stories including a christmas carol which again is the most popular one of the most popular ghost stories of all time and that's literally so he, all about yeah, ghosts. he was an interesting person <laughs> uh i think now's a good time to take a break Are you trying to create a podcast but don't have the money for all the equipment it takes? Maybe not so great with all the editing? Not sure how to distribute your podcast once you have everything recorded? Well, look no further because Anchor is here to help. Anchor is the easiest way to make podcasts. Their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer or phone. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And best of all, it's free. We looked at so many different distribution websites before finding Anchor and wish we had found it sooner. They even set you up with sponsors they think will fit the vibe of your podcast, which you can accept or decline at any time. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Happy, Happy podcasting. And we're back. How has COVID affected your operations? Because I know when we went... Uh, we took the tour about a year ago. Um, we were able to touch certain things that you had passed out, like wallpaper samples, um, photographs, 
are you guys still able to do stuff like that? Because I know they were laminated, so. So with COVID hitting um, this year, it has really changed our operations. So we were actually closed for about six months. So we closed mid-March. I think, I think it was the day after Disneyland is when we closed. So around the same time. And then we reopened on September 4th. So it was a good, good chunk of time. So we were closed. We closed in the middle of our busy season because uh, we are, we do mostly people from out of town, conventions, you know, people in town for spring training, snowbirds. That's like a really big um, part of our audience every year. And so we closed mid-March right in the middle of spring training. So that was really difficult. Um, but yeah, so in terms of operational changes, there has been a lot. Uh, normally our tours can go up to 12. Uh, we have cut that way back. It is now max four people. Wow. Uh, that will allow for social distancing while in the house. Um, you're, we're seeing a lot more private groups. So we're seeing a lot of like one family or two couples. It's much, um, much safer than when we had 12 people. And it's much easier to get around the house that way. Uh, everyone has to wear a face mask. That is mandatory. I give a tour in a mask and <laughs> that's just, um, it is the safest option for myself and for them. And also we have hand sanitizing stations in every single building that people can go into. Um, the bungalow, which is our store uh, located on, in the square as well, that's closed except for tour groups. So we aren't letting people just come in and walk around. It's only for tour groups right now. Uh, so yes, it's um, much different. Um, you mentioned our touch baskets, which is something that I always usually love having different, you know, we have toys from that era. So you can see how heavy the cast iron toys were. We have samples of wallpaper, so you can see what they feel like. Uh, but because of the health and safety restrictions for now, we do not have those out. So unfortunately, there's nothing to touch on the tour currently, um, our normal tour. And uh, which is a bummer because those part, I think they, that does enrich the experience, but uh, it, our priority is being as healthy and as safe as possible so that people can come and enjoy and learn and engage with us, but do it in a safe way. So all of things that are necessary, uh, we are, we are doing currently. Awesome. Well, at least you guys are making it safe for everyone. Yes. So during the lockdown, when you guys were closed, I saw quite a few videos you had posted on Facebook. I'm not sure if they were on YouTube of you cooking like food from that period. That looked so fun. Do you, how did you, how did you guys come up with that? Um, so that was my idea. So I love cooking anyway. I'm a big cook, but, um, during quarantine, uh, we were closed, of course, and our staff was working from home, and we were just thinking of ways to continue engaging people with Heritage Square, with our mission, while at home and while not physically being at work. And that was really challenging. It's a challenge a lot of museums have had to take up in the last year. And one way that I always connect with that time period is through how they lived their day-to-day -day lives. What was a Victorian like day-to-day? -day? What did they do? What did they wear? What did they eat? And so I was just started looking at old recipes and was like, what if we made cooking videos? And uh, I did see other, um, other museums have done similar things. Um, I mentioned I had lived in the UK for a little bit. Um, Historic Royal Palaces 
which is, um, you know, Kensington Palace, Hampton Court Palace, all of those amazing um, historical sites in the UK, uh, they do, they have, um, they do sometimes will do cooking stuff. And I, and I was looking at what other people were doing. And I said, I think we can do this too. So we did, we've done several, um, and I've done a few since we reopened, but it's been a little bit more hectic. So we haven't done as many, yeah. Uh, but yeah, just looking at the time period, looking at what, how they, how they made recipes and what they were eating. Um, we've done lemonade, we've done um, Victoria sponge cake, which is something they would have with tea. Uh, we've done uh, punch and oh my gosh, what else have we done? <laughs> we've done jam. So we've done a whole host of those. And that was just me with the tripod in my kitchen. I edited all of those myself <laughs> on iMovie. <laughs> <laughs> which is a fun learning curve. Um, but it was really fun for me. I, I enjoy that stuff anyway. And it was just, it was just one, an another thing to kind of remind people that we're still here and we're still wanting to talk about history and we're still wanting to talk to you. Please don't go away just because you can't come and see us in person. Right. So you said you're still doing those videos, but they're a little less frequent. Yeah, so we did, um, we released one at the end of September uh, in, in, in honor of National Punch Day, and we did a, um, a ginger punch, and they were the last two videos I filmed, I was able to actually physically film them at the square, because we've been back, um, and so that was really great, because I don't think viewers necessarily want to see my kitchen. <laughs> they wanted to see the Rawson um, kitchen. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, yes, I'm, I'm, we're working on getting another one out. October has been a very busy month for all of us at the square. So we're working on it, but I'm, that is a personal passion project of mine. Um, I'm really proud of what our, our, I'm really proud of our staff always, but we have really done um, some great things um, this last year in terms of what we've done online and, and, and what we've kept up with programming and all of these things that because um, of the, curveball of COVID and having to be creative and think outside the box and our entire staff has really risen to that occasion and exceeded it um so I'm I'm really really proud of everyone we were I work with that we've done I think some great stuff despite the challenges nice that's awesome yeah I really liked watching those videos uh, I thought they were cute I love them <laughs> I love watching people make things too like I don't know like even I just wanted like for me it's like am I on Great British Bake Off right now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is the great. Uh... I also just like film stuff that I cook myself on Instagram all the time. So I was like, how can I make work do this too? Like how right. can I make them do this thing that I already do? So that was the solution. <laughs> okay, so uh, what was your least favorite thing to make, or like not least favorite, but maybe if you don't have a least favorite, like the most difficult. <laughs> um the victoria sponge cake was the most difficult overall because i had actually had to film it twice the first time because i'm i'm a great cook i always say but baking is not necessarily my strong suit i love to bake but i'm not i'm not mary berry i'm not paul hollywood i'm not an <laughs> excellent baker um so it was i made it to, to begin with and i was having all these technical difficulties that day um with my equipment and it turned out the cake itself didn't turn out great <laughs> i didn't grease the pans enough so it stuck to the pans, and you're like trying to be like look at my beautiful cake and it was not beautiful so i actually was i gave up i said i'm done and said i'm gonna redo this on another day and i redid it and thankfully it turned out better the second time that's good um and of course it was not harmful to have extra cake in my house so <laughs> 
<laughs> that one was just difficult. It was just a it was a frustrating shoot. Yeah. Um, but they're all fun. It's a, it's any chance to be creative and to do something different um, and to think about how we can engage visitors in a way that's different than what we traditionally do is exciting. And I always, I mean, again, we've done so many cool things in the last year. We were doing a story time um, on social media as well. We uh, were doing different staff would read children's stories and different parts of the square. Um, we were making videos about what, you know, historic preservation month and all of these different things. So uh, again, it was, it was just fun to be creative. Yeah. Where can people find those videos? Well, if you followed us on Facebook, um, look at us up. We're at the Rawson House at Historic Heritage Square on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You can also find us on Instagram at Heritage Square PHX. Um, all of that content is on there. And then um, if you go to our website, there's links for our YouTube and all of those social media links as well. Um, we post them everywhere. And if you personally know me, I'm constantly blasting those videos like, hey, people. Yes. Watch me. Like, <laughs> Please. Subscribe. <laughs> well, moving on to something a little bit lighter. Um, that wasn't light enough for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Needs to be lighter. <laughs> um so Heritage Square has a lot of local Arizona artists. Um, have you met any of them? Do they come and drop off their goods at the bungalow or? Yeah, so I've met a few of them. So the bungalow is our museum store for the square. It is in, like I said earlier, um, a, a bungalow that was restored, built in 1901. And um, our store manager, who's also named Sarah, <laughs> she's the one who um, really does the most work of finding these artists and they sometimes come to her and we're able to sell their, uh, sell their beautiful artworks and jewelry and all of this in the store. Um, one person who we do so much with, her name is Lori Blackwell Mm -hmm. and she is a local teacher and illustrator and she does the most beautiful postcards and stickers and, you know, little books for kids and she's wonderful she's we're she's one we consistently work with quite frequently um and then there's a couple other ones that i think are really cool um there's actually a uh, local taxidermist (laughs) he has a company called grit and grain um and he does he works out of camp verde i believe and he does local uh um, ethically sourced um taxidermy with insects so we do he mounts a lot of beautiful butterflies and and stick insects and things like that uh so it's not just you know postcards and even though those are fun uh but also other really cool unique gifts as well um yeah i i spend so much money and at our our gift shop it's crazy (laughs) oh and i bet with the with the restaurants too because they sound like there's some pretty incredible restaurants Mm, yeah seriously (laughs) (laughs) what's uh what's your favorite because i know one's a coffee shop but the other three are um are like actual Mm -hmm. like you can get food there i'm sure you could get food at the coffee shop too but like an actual sit down place yes well the one i've been to the most is pizzeria bianco Mm -hmm. um just a glass of wine and some pizza is like the perfect way to (laughs) end the day (laughs) um but the food at nobu is also out of this world amazing um, so, I mean, it's all really great. It's the nice thing about Heritage Square in general is that 
there's literally something to do to spend a whole afternoon. You yeah. can tour the Rawson house. You could either bring your lunch or grab lunch at one of the restaurants or a cup of coffee at Ro uh, Royal Coffee Bar. You can enjoy the outdoor space, have a picnic. We have our museum store. Um, there's also one of the buildings in the square is another bungalow. And uh, we do exhibits in that house. And so there's a current exhibit in there right now. Um, I mean, we it's there's so much to do so many ways to spend the afternoon bring your family your friends your significant other whoever come by yourself um but it's really it's kind of a one-stop shop for so many things it is it's really um, nice especially visiting the area like we had taken the light rail down and we did I believe it was we were coming to watch the dodgers and we had taken the light rail down. And before we went to the game, we came to the Rossin house um, with Robert and his sister Arden and her fiance Reese. Uh, and we took the tour and it was awesome. And we grabbed some food. Well, they grabbed food. And then, yeah, we just kind of hung out and walked around and looked at the shop and the, the other bungalow that you were telling us about. And it was really fun. And we had a lot of a lot of good memories passing by. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, that's the convenient thing, too, is that everything is pretty walkable in that kind of stretch of downtown between like 7th Street and 7th Avenue downtown. I mean, it's it's my favorite part of Phoenix. I just love, you know, you can see a museum. You can walk down to the ballpark. There's so many great places to eat and things yes. to see. And, and there's so much history in that part of downtown too, because Phoenix, as we know it now, grew from basically downtown. Because mm -hmm. um, downtown was Phoenix. That's, that was the town site was the size of downtown today. And right. so it's grown so much. So there's some great, beautiful buildings down there, not just the Rawson House. Right. Um, St. Mary's Basilica is just down the street from us on Monroe. There's been a Catholic church on that site since the, at least the 1880s. Yeah. So it's so much history in, of Phoenix is, is just downtown. And it's so easy to walk and take a look, especially when the weather's nice. Uh, it's it's really a, a great a great trip yeah definitely it definitely was <laughs> so uh we're kind of ending the or we're kind of heading towards the end of our little interview here is there anything on the website or anything that i didn't cover that you would like to add about the rosslyn house maybe some of your not quarantine uh tasks or activities but for people that don't want to come out of their house right now and don't want to kind of risk it, do you guys have any activities like that? Well, for people who are um, being extra cautious and absolutely being um, super um, cognizant of our numbers with COVID, um, you don't even have to take a tour of the house. You could walk your dog in the park, um, which we get a lot of people who just come to walk around down there and enjoy the space. We have a beautiful rose garden. I mean, it's really this slice of greenery and um, kind of peace and quiet downtown. So if you're getting out and just having like a nice walk outside, we all need to get outside just to take a, take a walk occasionally. Um, and it's a really, it's, that's an ideal place for it really. Um, you could also just pick up a pizza at Pizzeria Bianco. I mean, you don't have to dine in. You could just take it and go home. I mean, there's so many ways to enjoy the space without, you know, spending an extended amount of time there or being in the buildings for too long. Um, and really, that's, that's the, the main thing. I mean, 
kind of patronizing and, and supporting us and supporting local history because um like i said this we have been we were closed for six months this year and and all museums not just us and not even ones in arizona have been hit really hard by covid mm-hmm. um and just you know coming down and being in the area it makes it, it for us it's 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 so amazing to see because i i saw on your website too that you had some tabs for online activities mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely there's um you can check us out online we do have some great activities you can do with your family we have lots of ones that are directed at kids crafts activities they would have done during that time period scavenger hunts all of that's on our website that's heritage square phx.org um, follow us on social media. We're constantly posting amazing content, great photos. Um, our amazing um, director of marketing um, does a blog monthly that, that covers a wide range of historical topics. I mean, there's oh, so much content from us that's not just coming down and taking a tour. So um, you can definitely check those things out. Um, and if you want to support us, which, like I said, this has been such a hard year for so many um, but if you want to support local history and you, there's a way you want to help us and support us, um, there's so many ways you can do that. You can buy a membership from us that gives you free admission for an entire year to come and see the Rawson house. Um, house does change up. We decorate for the holidays. Uh, we do actually through the month of October, we have an exhibit all about like Victorian oddities. Um, we do have a wicker casket in our parlor right now. <laughs> so free admission for a whole year, coming back down and checking out the house. It also gives you discounts at our store, um, also on programs and things like that. Um, my, our seances tour, if you're a member, full price, it's 45. If you're a member, it's 30. So really it, it saves you money in the long run, but it does so much and it goes such a long way to support us. Um, and you can buy those on our, um, on our shop actually at shop.heritagesquarephx.org. Um, and if you're, while you're there, you can also check out merchandise from the bungalow from all of those amazing artists. Cause you're not only supporting us through that, you're supporting those artists mm-hmm. and also just sharing and liking our things on social media. I mean, we see those things and it really does matter in the long run just to see that people are seeing and, and loving what we're doing. Um, that also is an amazing way to support us. Mm-hmm. So I've seen different variations of hours and price points. Can you give us a breakdown on if you are a member, if you aren't a member, how much the membership costs um, and all that? Yes. So we have several different membership levels. Um, Our base level is what we call the researcher level, and that's free admission for one person for a full year. Um, And you get all the benefits of the, you know, the discounts in the store and all of that. And that's just $30. That's not bad. And that's for a full year. Um, So that's really amazing. Um, Another great benefit of membership is you um, are instantly enrolled in the Time Travelers program, which is basically reciprocal admission to a bunch of historical sites around the country. Um, So it's a really great program and any membership level you get that. So $30 for the full year, that's a huge benefit. Um, The next level would be historian, that's $50 for the year and that's for you and one other person. And then it is um, our preservationist level, and that is that is a hundred dollars for the full year. Mm-hmm. And then there's the conservator level, which is two hundred for the year. So those are the different levels. Awesome. And then um, you can also, if you come down 
to take a tour of the Rawson House and you're unsure about membership, you can apply what you pay in membership uh, to towards a membership. So if you take a tour for you and another and you, you're thinking it over, you're like, maybe not today, you have up to two weeks to apply what you spent towards a membership. Mm -hmm. um, and really, it's two people, $24 to go through the house, that's halfway towards a historian membership. It's, yeah. It really pays for itself in about two visits. <laughs> That's the thing that some people don't realize about like memberships because I know you and Robert worked at the Idea Museum and their membership was so worth it and you got free access to the Natural History Museum too or not free access but discounted which was uh -huh. really cool and it's it's so worth it the zoo has a membership like that you guys I didn't even realize you guys had a membership but yeah people uh -huh. sometimes people don't have the money to put up front like that but if you do, I would highly suggest it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are someone who enjoys going to cultural institutions, be it the art museum, the herd museum, the zoo, desert botanical garden, there's so many amazing institutions in the valley. And it's such a huge thing, especially if you plan on going more than twice a year or even more than once a year to buy a membership. Because it does so, it goes such a long way for those institutions, especially in this crazy time. So many are struggling. And if you can afford to, and if you can afford to help in any way, buying a membership is a really simple way that really does so much for these institutions. So even if it's not us, which I hope it is us that you, you, you know, buy a membership from, because it is definitely worth it. That yeah. There's so many great membership programs from so many great museums across the state. Um, and that's, again, like a huge way to support them. So, it, so let's say people hearing this, because I've got, I've got friends from California, Sierra has family in other places. I also have family in different states. We actually have a listener in Ireland. So hi, Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to that person. Yeah, shout out to Ireland, whoever that is. Um, if they can't come purchase a membership, if they can't take a tour, but they feel inclined to donate, where can they do that? Can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Even if you just would like to make a one-time donation, that would also be so incredible. And you could also do that on our website um, at heritagesquareph.org. Um, all that information about donating, about um, membership, about our store, um, all of that's online. So if that is something you are able to do during this crazy year, it is so appreciated and um, something that goes a long way. Awesome. Well, um, Sarah, do you have any more questions? I think we covered it all. Yeah, I think yeah. we covered it. I'm excited to take the tour. Yes. We're going to do that. Ooh, yes. I forgot to mention on your website, it says wine and charcuterie board. Are you still doing that after the seance tour? Yes. So for our specialty tours, so that is the seances and spiritualist tour. We also do another one called Victorian Secrets. Um, and that's all of the um, kind of the naughtier bits of the Victorian era. So what was sex like? And what if you were, if you had to menstruate, what would, what would have that experience been like during that time period? All those. <laughs> we're taking <laughs> well, that one We're too. taking that no. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> so all of those kind of more, the things you don't really talk about that are a little kind of dirtier, a little naughtier bits. So that's what that tour is. Um, we don't have any 
ones of those currently scheduled, but those ones we both we do at night and they end with wine and charcuterie. Uh, we are still doing those. We are doing it in a modified way. So all of the food is individually and safely packaged uh, beforehand. So no one's sharing, no one has a chance to kind of cross um, contaminate or anything like that. It's all individually packaged by someone with a food handler's card. It's very safe. Um, and all the wine is served um, by someone with a food handler's card. It's poured. Um, we wear we wear gloves, and it's 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 yeah, it's very safe, very hygienic. We of course have hand washing stations all throughout, and it's it's just um, just modified a bit. Awesome. So if you weren't already sold, right now there's wine involved. Now now it's your time and, to and buy. Sex talk, so. and sex talk. So. <laughs> so buy your tickets well, now <laughs> and we often find that even though those tours the tours themselves are so fun the after part where we're all having a glass of wine and talking and kind of commiserating and sharing stories whether it be about ghosts or or that time period um it's it's that's the most fun part um because mm-hmm. we often get a lot of like-minded people on these tours and it's it's fun to meet people and especially now with um everyone quarantining and spending so much more time at home, this little bit of social interaction that is yes, safe and yes, distanced and all of that. But it's just that little bit of interaction is so, so good for the soul. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And wine doesn't hurt. So <laughs> no, never. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for taking uh, time out of your busy day. I know you said you were doing a, um, an interview earlier today, actually, too, right? So it was on, it aired today. So we, we did it on, on Friday at the square, actually. We were on um, AZTV, which is Channel 7, uh, okay. the AZ Daily Mix. We were talking about some of the stuff we were talking about, why people think our house is haunted and, and you know, some of the oddities of that time period. And uh, they went through the house and uh, it was a lot of fun, but we should be, once we get that video, we'll be posting it on all of our social media platforms. So you can see me in the house um, with Brad Perry, who is their host. And he does not like ghosts. So that was a fun experience. I didn't ask you this. Do you have like a uniform that you wear? Do you get to wear cool clothes or? (laughs) No, so we don't dress up in costume. (laughs) So um, they used to have our volunteers and like our docents wear like a long black skirt and like an apron. Um, so that was the closest we would get to like period fashion. Um, it's, uh, if, if we're going to dress up and f- as someone from the time period, we'd want to be as accurate as possible. Yeah. And sometimes that's difficult. So we would never want to portray something that's not hundred percent accurate. Um, so we do not. Um, I, yeah, that's, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it can, get, yeah. it can get expensive because I mean, even going to the Renaissance, the renaissance fair people have those even they they sell them even those really accurate pieces of clothing and they're like two hundred dollars each so it's a lot it's a yeah it's a lot of stuff to kind of source and put together yeah. um and dressing up you know the fashion of the victorian era is like another area of interest to me personally i love that stuff yeah. um but most people think of like Scarlett O'Hara with like the big 1860s antebellum hoop skirts and and or like a big bustle and things like that and (laughs) I would fall on my face if I tried (laughs) one of those that would be um entertaining for our visitors I'm sure (laughs) um 
Not so much for me, though. <laughs> Could you imagine climbing up those stairs? And those stairs are steep. They are not... Mm-hmm. They're steep and they're, like, short. The stairs are yeah. short. Yeah. So, like, the, the, the grand staircase is not so bad, but our back stairs are... Yeah. yeah, those are... They creak and they're really steep. And, yeah, those... I always say if any if anyone's going to fall down those stairs, if it's going to be anybody in the world, it's probably going to be me because I'm such a klutz. So, do you let, we can't add a hoop skirt or any underpinnings and corsets. Like, we can't add that to that mix. We can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, I don't remember the name of the man that gave us our tour, but he wore a button-down shirt, dress pants, and, like, dress shoes. He looked very professional. Very professional. Eric. Yes. So his name is Eric. I, <laughs> loved, already knows I loved him. He was so funny. Shout out to Eric. Thank it's you great. so much. It was an amazing tour. <laughs> Eric is literally the best in the biz. He really is. He's so funny, because uh, he, he's been at the square longer than I have, and he's so uh he's just the best he's yes shout out eric he is awesome if you come down to the house you'll either get a tour with me or with eric either way it'll be a lot of fun um we both really love history and really love our job so um you can't go wrong and hopefully he listens oh shout out to your boss also i was really nervous bringing this to you because it like the premise around our podcast is not like it's it's I don't want to say it's controversial, but it's something that's not really talked about um, besides the true crime point. And so bringing up the Rawson house, even Sierra at first was like, why are we doing a story about this if it's not haunted? And I was like, you know, wait for you to say. I was was excited. Um, No, she was excited. But no, I, I, uh, I was nervous because you're like, let me run this past my boss. And I was like, shoot, I don't know with like our name and everything like that, that we're going to be talking about if she wanted to be connected to it. And I, I really appreciate you guys giving us a chance to kind of put this out there because I loved going there. I love museums. Like I said, we, um, Robert worked at the idea museum, which we visited often and we don't have children. Uh, we go to the natural history museum. We've been to the Rawson house and the zoo. Like we just love supporting the arts and everything like that. So it was really awesome for you to let us talk about that. Of course. Yeah. And thank you so much for, you know, thinking of us and, and, and featuring us on this because, you know, any way, like I said earlier, like to support us and to support our mission directly helps preserve local history and there's so many ways of doing that and just you know letting people know that we're here and that we are different and fun and something unique and you can come down and do something safe um that's huge so thank you for thinking of us and (laughs) for putting up with my dogs randomly barking while we talk (laughs) you guys won't hear that by the way oh yeah they won't hear it they probably will cut that out right yeah (laughs) Awesome. Well, I will go ahead when we post about this because we're going to start posting what we're doing on Wednesdays. The episode will be posted that Saturday. So I will go ahead and post the websites. I will link your Facebook, um, your YouTube. And for the people that aren't in Arizona or can't make it to Arizona, I'm looking at you, Ireland. Um, you <laughs> can... Yeah, one viewer in Ireland. You can uh, go ahead and check out that that interview um that sarah did this past week and kind of get a feel for the rawson house yeah yeah yes please do yeah awesome well any last words sarah 
last uh, words are you gonna murder <laughs> any last words any last uh, words any final thoughts thank you again for for having me and we should be decorating the house for the holidays coming up soon so um, if you're looking to come toward the house, it's a really good time of year to do it because it always, our house does look like a gingerbread house. So add some Christmas trees and it really just goes over the edge. If you love could that. send us pictures, we will totally post that around Christmas too. I would love to do yes. that. <laughs> Absolutely. Always. And you know, I'm constantly posting pictures of that house in the inside of the house on my Instagram. Yes. So, it's all um, nice. I will definitely send you pictures. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the time. Of course. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so if you are ever in Arizona or live in Arizona, I highly recommend touring the Rawson House. It's a piece of Phoenix history and is very well worth the trip. Uh, if you would like to schedule a tour, go ahead and visit heritagesquareph.org. Um, and yeah, like I said, we'll be posting her link, pictures of the Rawson house, and the YouTube link, so you can go ahead and watch that interview that she did with Channel 7. Yeah, definitely go check it out. Yes. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next Saturday. Morbidly Intoxicated is hosted by Lily Bishop and Sarah Lawson. Recording and production by Robert Shepard. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Morbidly Intoxicated Pod for updates and photos from the cases we cover. If you liked our show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Theme music was written by Taylor Hertz. His website is taylorhertz, spelled T-A-Y-L-O-R-H-E-R-T-Z dot com. Artwork was done by Kelly Carroll, who you can find on Instagram at artbykelly, Kelly spelled K-E-L-L-I. Photos done by Javi Romero. His Instagram is at Orange Hobby. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Morbidly Intoxicated. <laughs>